Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. WTBN Pinellas Park, WTWD Plant City, WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at Let's Talk Faith. Versions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Odyssey. The following program was pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. God uses the weak and unimpressive people of this world in order to demonstrate that it's his power and his power alone through them. God chose them so that nobody would boast about them. God chose them and used them so that you you look at them and you have to sit back and say, it's got to be of God. It can't be anything else. God chooses the nobodies of this world to exalt himself by making it obvious that it's his power and his power alone that's responsible for the impact made by such common, ordinary people. Before I accepted Christ as Savior, I would have been deeply insulted by that notion. To be chosen for something because my incompetence would bring glory to the one doing the choosing should be offensive, but it's not. We were made to bring glory to God, so when we can say, like the Apostle Paul, When I am weak, then I am strong because God is working through me. That is cause for celebration. Hello, welcome to Verse by Verse. Pastor teacher Steve Kreloff is leading us in a series of lessons about the King's Ambassadors. Pastor Steve has been serving since 1981 at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Who are the King's Ambassadors? They are the men Matthew introduced in the 10th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. So if you have your Bible, you might want to turn there now because that's where we'll start our class today. How did those 12 men come to be ambassadors for Jesus? Did he have some sort of army recruiting center? Let's listen now as Pastor Steve considers the selection process for the group that Jesus would use to turn the world upside down. Let's open our Bibles once again to Matthew chapter 10, and I want to read to you verses 1 through 4. We began a study of the apostles last week, and Lord willing, we will finish this hour. Matthew chapter 10, beginning of verse 1, Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Now the names of the 12 apostles are these, the first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, and James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. With these verses, the gospel writer Matthew introduces us to the 12 men that Jesus handpicked, sovereignly handpicked, to be his official ambassadors, his apostles. There was, uh, as we said last week, there were many disciples. There were at least hundreds of them by this time, but these 12 men sovereignly handpicked by the Lord. 
And that's precisely why Matthew introduces these men to us now at the beginning of chapter 10. There, there is a reason for this because the rest of the chapter is a discourse to the apostles in preparation for their first missionary ministry assignment. In other words, in light of the fact that Jesus is about to send them out on their first preaching mission, they needed instruction. That's the bulk of the chapter. It's instruction. But before Matthew ever gets to the instruction, before he ever tells us what Jesus told these men, he first gives us their names, the roll call. Jesus would go on. He'll tell us, beginning in verse 5, practical instruction. They needed to know, who do they go to? Do they go to Samaritans, Gentiles, Jewish people? Well, chapter 10, verses 5 and 6 say, only go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. They needed to know whom they were to speak to. They needed to know what they were to say to these Jewish people. And so in verses, in verse 7, he tells them that, say, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, or the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, he says, tell them the king has arrived. Then they needed to know what to do with the people, what to do with the people. And that's found in verse 8. Heal the people who are sick, cast out demons. They needed to know how to conduct themselves amongst the people. They needed to know what kind of treatment they would expect and things of that nature. That's the bulk of the chapter. But as we said, before Matthew ever gets to that, he introduces these men to us and their names. This is the first time, by the way, that Matthew has mentioned the apostles as a distinct unit of 12 official men. It's the first time because this is the first time it's needed. This is the first time the Lord has brought these men together in order to send them to the field of service. Now, I think it'll be helpful for you, for all of us, to understand how these men actually got to this point in their lives. They, they didn't just sign up and then they were sent out. There is a process. Actually, there are several stages or phases of their calling. They weren't just called one time. There are four different callings for these men. Let me show you. First of all, Jesus initially called each of these 12 men to follow him in salvation, to follow him. And they all responded to this irresistible call to follow him, except Judas. Judas was not a converted man, but all the others were. Now, we have not been told how all of them came to faith in the Lord, but we have been told how some of them did. And we don't need to go back over John chapter 1. I read that before we prayed together. But in that passage, we are told of the conversion of several of the apostles. There was John, the apostle John, Andrew, Peter, Philip, and Nathaniel. These men, we're told, were first disciples, first followers of John the, the Baptist. And now John introduced them to Jesus. He said, behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world. They followed Christ. They said, Rabbi, where are you staying? He told them. They came, they, they would have talked for hours with him. They came to believe and they embraced him as the Lamb of God. They told others who told others. And likewise, the other apostles, though we're not told the specifics of their conversion, they also at different times were called to follow Christ in salvation. So that's the first phase of their calling. They just became disciples, followers, convinced that he was indeed the Son of God and the Messiah. The second phase of their calling after being saved involved a call to full-time ministry. Not all the disciples were called to full-time ministry, just as all believers today are not called to full-time ministry. This call of full-time ministry is found in the now famous statement recorded in Matthew chapter 4, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. 
meaning that follow me and no longer will you be with your profession of fishing on the Sea of Galilee. I'll give you something that's, that's even better than that. You'll be fishing for men. And Luke tells us in Luke 5.11 that, that when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him, meaning they left their profession. They went into full-time ministry. No longer would they be professional fishermen. Now, these men were already followers of Christ. Jesus was simply taking them to a, to a deeper level of discipleship, full-time ministry, another level of discipleship. Now, the third phase of their calling after the call to salvation and the call to full-time ministry was the call to be an apostle. This is not found in Matthew chapter 10. This is found in Luke chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. And it said that, that Jesus went on a, uh, a mountain in the Galilee area, and he prayed all night, communing with the Father. He came down the next morning, and he chose 12 of his disciples to be his apostles. This would have been done just prior to the giving of the Sermon on the Mount. And then several months after that, Jesus finally called these men together in order to send them out and give them instruction about what they would be doing in terms of ministry. And that's where we are in Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10 is not about the calling of these men to be apostles. It's about instructing them how to function as apostles to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's precisely what this is about. They are about to be sent on their first preaching tour. They needed instruction how to minister to the Jewish people that they would be talking to. Now, later, the, the fourth and the final call of Christ upon their lives is after his death and resurrection, he called them to continue to function as apostles, except now no longer were, would their ministry be restricted to Jewish people. Now he told them that their ministry went beyond the borders of Israel and they were to go into all the world and make disciples, to go to all nations. That's what we call the Great Commission. Now, our study today of Matthew 10 has brought us to the third phase of Christ's call upon the lives of these men, having been already called to salvation, full-time service, apostleship. The men are now ready to receive instruction so they'll know how to act and serve as apostles. Now, as we've already said, all that Matthew does is give us their names, but the rest of the New Testament fills us in on the individuals and personalities about them and what they were like and so forth. And, and really, as we go through the roll call of these men, you'll see that, that while they had remarkable ministries, they were not remarkable men. They were quite ordinary, common, just like all of us. There are men with great inadequacies, men with sinful tendencies, men with deficiencies in their character, sometimes glaring deficiencies. They had their faults, they had their defects, and yet these men turn the world upside down. That's what, their, that's what their enemies said. The men who have turned the world upside down have come here. And we understand from Scripture that God is the one who transformed these apostles into such useful vessels. And we understand that he's the one who transforms us into instruments that can be used for his glory. However, we also know that there has to be some basic and underlying ingredients in the lives of men and women that he works in and through that makes people useful instruments. There has to be some basic ingredients. He's going to have something to work with. And that's what we want to learn 
from these men today as we continue our study about the ambassadors of the king. What is it that made them so useful to the Lord? Yes, it was transformation, but, but also there was something to begin with. What was it that made them so useful? What was it about these men that, that gave them such effective ministries when they were very inadequate? Now, as we discovered last week, it certainly was not their intellectual abilities. It certainly was not their formal education. They did not go to rabbinical school. They did not have the higher education that the scribes and rabbis and Pharisees had. Certainly not their social skills, not their religious office. Not one of them was a priest. Not one of them was a rabbi. Not one of them was a scribe or a Pharisee or a Sadducee or any of those Jewish uh, sects and offices. It was not their prominent status in society. They had no prominent status. They were farmers. Some were craftsmen. Matthew was a despised tax collector. I mean, these were these were on the low scale in terms of culture and society. These were just simple men of the land. And since they were some of them fishermen, we say men of the land and, and sea. Yet Jesus specifically chose these guys to turn the world upside down with the gospel. And what that tells us is that God purposely, by design, chooses the nobodies of this world just like us to use for his glory. That's his design. And we want to know why. Why is this happened? Because in God's sovereign plan, he chose these men, these nobodies, because there was something about them that made them easy to use. And we want to know exactly what that was. Now, continuing our our study from last week, we said that there were three main qualities about these men that made them useful. The first one is that they were very common men. And let me add to this what I said last week. Not only were they very common men, but they knew they were common men. Some people are very common. They just don't know that they're common. They think higher of themselves than they should. These were common men who knew they were common men. That's what I mean by that. They knew there was nothing in themselves to boast about. Like all of us, they struggle with pride. Yes, they debated who'd be greatest in the kingdom, who'd who'd sit on the Lord's right hand, who'd sit on the Lord's left hand. But they really knew that they were pretty ordinary, common men. And that's where an understanding of these apostles has to begin. They were just, they were very unpretentious. They were unlike the religious leaders of Israel, who were very pretentious, very self-righteous, very hypocritical. The religious leaders of Israel looked down upon everybody else but themselves. But these men were not like that. And, and what we saw, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul said that God has chosen the foolish things of this world. People who are very common. Why? Because he gets glory from that. These are people who, who boast only in the Lord because they know they can't boast about themselves. There is nothing in themselves to boast about. God uses the weak and unimpressive people of this world in order to demonstrate that it's his power and his power alone through them. You look at people that God is using and you go, I I don't understand why. Why? When you see what these men are like, and we're going to have a little uh, sketch of these men today, all of them, you, you will shake your head and go, I don't understand why. Well, understand it this way. God chose them so that nobody would boast about them. God chose them and used them so that you you look at them and you have to sit back and say, it's got to be of God. It's got to be of God. It can't be anything else. God chooses the nobodies of this world to exalt himself by making it obvious that it's his power 
and his power alone that's responsible for the impact made by such common, ordinary people. God purposely chooses weak instruments so that he'll be strong through them. And that's true of us as well. And that's the real lesson here. We need to understand that in and of ourselves, we, are, we have nothing to boast about. We are nobodies. All we deserve is hell. All we deserve is hell and judgment. One Bible teacher put it this way. Such a strategy is unacceptable to those whose pursuit in life is aimed toward the goal of human glory. God's strategy is so different. God's strategy is to glorify himself and not sinful human beings. And that's precisely, folks, why Jesus bypassed the religious leaders of Israel. Not one of them was called to be an apostle. Not one. Why? Because Jesus spoke about them. They were dishonest, self-righteous, hypocritical. Now, that's not to say there weren't some who were not like that, but by and large, that characterized them. And they were bypassed as apostles because they thought of themselves as impressive human beings while Jesus chose men to be his apostles who knew they were not impressive. They knew they were not impressive. And let me give you just some insight into these men. Some of them, as we've already seen, were first disciples of John the Baptist. That's very significant. Remember, John the Baptist came on the scene and his call was a call to repentance. He said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And these men, some of them followed John, which tells us that these men saw through the religious hypocrisy of their day. They didn't want that system. They rejected what what the leaders said in Jerusalem. They longed for spiritual reality in their lives. They knew they were sinners. They knew they needed to repent. They longed for the Messiah to come. And unlike the learned and highly educated Jewish scribes and Pharisees who were very impressed with their own sense of self-importance, the apostles were not. They were simple, honest men who saw nothing in themselves to brag about. They knew they were sinners. They knew they needed reality, spiritual reality in, them, in their lives. And see, that's all very key. How, how are we to be used by God? First, you have to deal with your own sinful pride and constantly remind yourself that you're just a wicked sinner. You're a wicked sinner, totally unworthy of God's blessing. We are, in that sense, nothings. And uh, I've told you this before, but it's worth repeating. The old story of a veteran missionary about to leave the field, and a young missionary was sent to replace him. And the young missionary said to the veteran missionary, Oh, pray for me that I might be nothing. And the veteran missionary looked at him and said, You are nothing. Take it by faith. (laughs) Folks, that's us. Take it by faith. We are nothing. Our pursuit is not to be for our glory, but God's glory. And while the apostles had a lot of character defects, they did recognize that the ultimate goal of life was to exalt not them, but the Lord himself. Later, when they received the fullness of the Holy Spirit, this desire came under the the Spirit's control and it became their passion and the driving force of their lives. But But they did, once they were saved, they did have that desire to glorify the Lord. They didn't always do it, but they had that desire. So if you want to be used by God, then understand that God will use you, but only in proportion to your humility. Because God, the scripture says, opposes the proud and gives grace, meaning his strength and enablement to the humble. So don't think of yourself more highly than you should. You and I are nothing, so let's take it by faith. And we exalt his power, his mercy, and grace. That's how the apostles saw themselves. And that's the first quality necessary to being used by God 
see yourself as a common individual. There's a second basic quality about these men that made them so usable. Not only were they common men who knew they were common men, but they were diverse men, meaning that these men were were different from each other. They had different personalities. They were distinct, really different. And it becomes apparent as you look at the, the different men's unique personalities, diversified character traits. And it's amazing to see how the Lord brought them all together, these dissimilar men, and shaped them into a unified group. It, not unlike the local church today. We all are different. We all have distinct personalities. Some have quirks. Some are more quirky than others. But God has put us all together. And when you come under the authority of the Lordship of Christ, he shapes us and molds us into that one-mindedness to follow him and exalt him and place ourselves aside. And you can easily see the diversity of the apostles. And sometimes their unique personalities are actually reflected just in their names or the names that are attached to them. Because remember, in biblical times, a person's name had significance. It, It told you a great deal about the individual. So I want to give you a brief thumbnail sketch of these men, and you'll see how really different they were from one another. And and you're going to see yourself in these men. The first name on the list of the apostles is Simon, who Matthew tells us, who's called Peter. Now, why is he called Peter when he was born with the name Simon or would have been like Simeon? Why? I mean, his parents gave him that name. Why? Well, if you recall in John chapter one, verse 42, I just read this, so I'm not going to take the time to read it again. But remember when Andrew, the brother of Simon, brought his brother to Jesus, Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon Bar-Jonah. You are Simon, the son of Jonah or, or John, it means, but you will be Cephas, which John tells us translated means Peter. Cephas is an Aramaic word meaning rock or or stone. Aramaic is similar. It's not Arabic, it's Aramaic, similar to Hebrew. He said, you'll be called Cephas. That means you will be like a rock, like a stone. And the Greek equivalent of that is Peter. So Cephas is, is exactly the same as Peter. Now, why did Jesus say that Simon would eventually be called? Really, we'd have to say he was nicknaming him Rocky. I mean, that's, that's what, in essence, he was saying. Because a rock is what described what Simon was going to be changed into. You see, when, when Jesus met Peter, he met Simon, this man was extremely vacillating. He was unstable. Simon was very vocal, always free to give you his opinion whether you ask for it or not. He was very brash, impulsive, outspoken about where he, he stood on issues. It, Peter always seemed to say the wrong things at the wrong time. Always. Remember when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration and Jesus is talking to Moses and talking to Elijah and Peter speaks up and says, hey, let's build some booths here for us. Nobody asked Peter to say that. And that's where the voice appeared from heaven. God's voice said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And Peter, be quiet. But Peter was always, who asked Peter to speak? Jesus is speaking, be quiet. But that was Peter. He, he, he was a man who swayed from one position to another. Peter was indeed a man of extremes. He could swing from tremendous insight to total foolishness in a heartbeat. We will learn more about Peter as well as the other disciples in the next verse by verse. We like to call verse by verse 
a radio Bible class, and our teacher is Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve has been delivering practical, expository, or verse-by-verse messages at Lakeside for more than 26 years. Verse-by-Verse Ministries now presents his clear expositions of the Word of God to you through this radio station. Verse-by-Verse Ministries is a faith ministry made possible through the gifts and prayers of interested listeners who have first been faithful to their own churches. If you would like to hear today's lesson again, please visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. You can download the message or listen online. We also have previous classes on our archives page. In fact, I recommend that you sign up for the free podcasting service to make sure you don't miss any future classes. That's versebyverseradio.org. Today's broadcast is the first part of a three-part message which will conclude this study of the King's Ambassadors. To hear the entire message at once, you can order an audio CD or a cassette tape. Please call us at 727 727- Four four one one seven one four. Leave your name and a number, and we will return your call during weekday office hours. That number again, 727-441-1714. One disciple in particular had a way of witnessing that is often effective today. I like to call it come and see witnessing. You invite people to hear 